In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text is the Gospel reading from St. Luke, which I've already read. You may be seated. Then turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. If we just look at the gospel reading as it's printed on the page in the bulletin, this may seem like an odd way to introduce the parable. In fact, if you look at the reading as it's laid out in the English Standard Version of the Bible, which is in uh, the pew in front of you, this isn't even part of the section on the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I want you to remember that titles in the Bible like that, and even the chapter numbers and verse numbers, are not necessarily inspired. So what do these words refer to immediately, and how do they apply to the parable? Well, if you look earlier in Luke chapter 10, uh, Jesus had just sent out 70, 72 missionaries to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to proclaim the gospel in the towns to which Jesus was getting ready to go. And they returned with great joy and said that even the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. But Jesus said that while that's well and good, they should rejoice in the fact that their names were written in heaven, that they had the promise of eternal life. Then immediately after that, after the crowd sort of dispersed, Jesus prayed a prayer of thanksgiving to God within the earshot of the twelve that he had hidden his will from the wise and understanding, but had revealed it to little children. And when Jesus says that the disciples are blessed because of what they had heard and because of what they seen, it is because God had revealed his saving will to them. Not that they were, you know, little kids under the age of 10, but they were, in fact, children of the Heavenly Father, sons of God. Indeed, it is for this reason that the church still gathers today to hear the preaching of Christ's word. What we see and what we hear in this place is the saving will of God revealed and proclaimed to us through the preaching of God's word and through the distribution of the sacraments. We are seeing and hearing something that is being revealed to us in a greater way as a great treasure that any king of old or any prophet would have longed to have seen. We may envy Moses at the, the great miracles that he saw and the great dis display of God's power that he witnessed in the Exodus. We may even envy the disciples as they saw so many different miracles and things like that that we read about in the New Testament. But dear saints, Jesus tells you today that you have the full revelation of God's saving work. That you know what they did not know at the writing or at the re recording of these events. We know about Christ's suffering and how through his suffering and death, God has accomplished salvation for us and how he distributes it to us through the word and through the holy sacraments. 
Well, that's the context. But how does that connect to the parable? Well, the parable is a good example of how the gospel has been fully revealed to us, but is hidden from the wise and understanding, and in this case specifically, the lawyer as recorded in the scriptures. We can see in this parable, despite the fact that this is a parable told to crush the lawyer in his sins, we can see in this parable God's saving plan for the world. So, to the parable itself then. The lawyer stands up to put Jesus to the test and asks, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus points him to the law. And the lawyer rightly summarizes it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He did well on his Ten Commandments exam in catechism class, summarizing the first and second tables of the law very well. And Jesus tells him that he has answered rightly, orthodoxly, he has done it correctly, but he now is told, do this, do what the Ten Commandments ask of you, do this, and you will live. The lawyer does not have the benefit of the fuller revelation. He thinks that he must do something to inherit eternal life, that it is something that he himself must accomplish. Ask a law question, you get a law answer. Jesus points him to the Ten Commandments. Do this and you will live. We see in this that the Ten Commandments are indeed a pathway to life everlasting, but there's a problem. So the lawyer, wanting to justify himself to Jesus, asks, Who is my neighbor? Aren't all of us lawyers in this way? Don't we always want to justify ourselves, both before man, but also before God as well? We want to know exactly what is required of us. I might even go as far as to say that we want to know the bare minimum of what is required of us by the law. What's the least amount of love for God that I have to show to God and to my neighbor in order for God to say that I've done it, that I'm good? This is sort of the theological equivalent of when you as a parent tell your children to clean their room and then they proceed to shove everything that they possibly can under their bed and then everything into the closet. The floor is clean. There's nothing there. Look, I have done all that you have asked. And so this parable, Jesus tells, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is told in order to show us what the law actually asks of us in its fullest extent. So you know the parable. We heard it earlier. And with this parable, Jesus puts flesh and blood on what the law actually requires. When it comes to what God requires of us in terms of our neighbor, the parable of the Good Samaritan tells us that uh, of this guy who stops to help a complete stranger, that he's willing to use his own resources to help clean and bind the man's wounds, 
that he's willing to put him on his own animal to ride into town and to take care of him at this inn. And then after all of that, still plunk down two days worth of wages to help take care of the man in his absence. And then he essentially puts his credit card down on the table too, saying, whatever other expenses you incur beyond this, I'll pay it when I come back this way. But there's one other piece of this puzzle that that I don't want to miss out on. When we look at the New Testament, actually Old and New Testament, including our Old Testament reading for today, we see that the Samaritans were not well-liked by the people of Judah and Jerusalem. They were sort of um, the bad guy in, in the same league as the Pharisees and the scribes, that they had somewhat of the revelation of God, but not all of it. And in fact, in the Old Testament, the Samaritans even worshipped other gods besides the God of Israel. They were almost universally hated in Jesus' stomping grounds. And so, in this parable, as he is willing to take care of this man, the good Samaritan is, in fact, putting his own life at risk by taking care of him. When they see a Samaritan coming down the road with a half-dead Jewish person, they may think that this man is the cause of this other man's injuries, opening himself up to attack. In other words, God is telling us through this parable that our love for our neighbor requires absolutely everything that we have. We don't have the luxury, for instance, of passing on helping our kids with their homework simply because we're tired. We don't have the luxury of passing on loving our spouses because in that moment they're unlovable. That never happens at my house, though, uh, at least not from my perspective to Andrea, perhaps on my end, but that's, that's for something else. Um, we don't have the luxury of not volunteering at the church because We don't want to hold an office. We don't feel like doing it. We don't have the luxury on the job of doing mediocre in our work because we simply don't want to put in the effort. The law requires that we give everything that we have, that everything that God has placed into our hands, we are to use this to love and to care for our neighbors that he has placed around us. If you're a dad, be a dad with everything that you have. If you're a church member, be a church member with everything that you have. If you're a worker, do the work that is put before you with everything that you have. The law requires that you give absolutely everything in each of these areas of life. Jesus has said, go and do Likewise. But here is also where we have a benefit that this lawyer did not have. We have been given the revelation, the fuller revelation of what kings and prophets longed to see. That we actually know the identity of the Good Samaritan in this parable. And we also know the identity of the man who has been left half dead by the side of the road. 
Jesus is the Good Samaritan, and you are the one who has been half left half dead by the road, and Jesus is the one who comes to rescue you. He has come to bind up your wounds and to pour on oil and wine and to take care of you, not only in this life, but to life everlasting. As St. Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus is the one who has rescued you from death. And in so doing, he has not just shown you the example of how it is to love your neighbor according to the Ten Commandments, but he has loved you in accordance with everything that the Ten Commandments require. He has done this that you might have life. And now living in the forgiveness that Jesus gives, he also equips you then to actually to go and to love your neighbor as the Ten Commandments have said of you. Living in this forgiveness, Jesus loves and forgives you even when you fall short as a dad, as a church member, as a worker, in all of the different areas of your life, binding up your wounds with the power of the absolution, the forgiveness of sins that Jesus speaks to you in this place. So that even as Jesus has emptied himself of everything in order to take care of you, he now fills you up that you might love and care for those around you. So that as you go and do likewise, as Jesus says in the parable, you do so not in the strength of the law, but in the strength of the gospel that Jesus has laid down his life for you. So that as we might with St. Paul say, it is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. And so in this strength, in the strength that only Christ can provide through his saving work for you, you now go and do likewise. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.